3: Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone.
2: Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and you are listening to All Ball. All basketball, all the time. I think this part is hilarious. We're going to get to our special guest, Rick Croy, head coach at Cal Baptist. Amazing rise to prominence as he's taken Cal Baptist from a Division Two program, Division One, They were competitive first year, uh, middle of the pack in the WAC. And uh, uh, interesting guy. He's actually married to a former uh, elementary school classmate of mine. So we'll talk some Cal Baptist, St. Mary's, and West Coast hoops with Rick Roy in mere moments. I saw this Lonzo Ball admitted that uh, that the Big Baller brand shoes fell apart. He said, uh, can I get a quarter in? We got to switch them every quarter. His shoes literally fell apart every quarter. And I'm telling you that the the Lakers told him last year the reason he hurt his ankle was because his shoes were not well made. And it's one of these things that we we do with athletes where we just assume you take the biggest check. And I I get the idea of, You know, when you're bidding something in your house, you want to take the lowest bidder. The lowest bidder is the lowest bidder for a reason. Well, in this particular case, remember, he had a chance to sign with Nike and ultimately obviously did so this offseason. But I I don't care what shoe company you like, right? If you're a Nike guy, you're an Adidas guy, you're somebody else guy. There is something to the R&D that the big time shoe companies spend on. They want to make sure that their best athletes are in shoes that don't collapse. Obviously, Zion Williamson's shoe is the exception to that. But it's interesting to hear Lonzo Ball finally come clean that the big baller brand was, they were shitty shoes, right? Like, yeah, no duh. That's what the Lakers would say. That's why he they have him work out in Kobe's. And then he had to play in the big baller brand shoes, but he wouldn't want to. It was his dad saying this was the way in which they could sell shoes. And ultimately, it derailed his career with the Lakers. And probably one of the big reasons he was end up being traded is the shoes. Crazy, right? Really crazy.
1: Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at noon Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
2: All right, I got one more thing for you, which is, I think, kind of fun. Have you guys seen some of the futures for NBA over unders for wins? You guys seen any of these? Yeah, like, look, like if you go online, you can find some. The you know, Who doesn't like future lines? And NBA futures are interesting because there is this assumption that, you know, all of a sudden now the Clippers are going to be the team to beat, right? The, the Clippers because of their personnel. And look, I, I think that the Clippers are ultimately going to be a very competitive team and may well win an NBA championship. But it should be pointed out, that Paul George is coming off of dual shoulder surgery. Kawhi Leonard wasn't right in the finals, and he's coming off a season where he only played 60 games. And they're also going to have two new stars on their team, which, let's be honest, that's kind of hard to, uh, to, to to deal with. Now, they have most of their core back. But the fact is that you add two new pieces to that core, it's going to be bumpy early on. Their over-under is 56.5 wins. And while that may seem low, considering the two stars that they've added, I'd actually think that's high. I would take the under. Why? Paul George is probably not going to be right until, what, December? And the team's not going to be cohesive until January or February. And once you get to late in the season, they're going to be resting players anyway. My guess is that the Clippers regular season is a little bit more underwhelming than you would think. All right, let's get to Rick Croy. He's the head coach of Cal Baptist. They've only been Division One for one season. His rise to prominence is awesome. His perspective on coaching basketball is really, really interesting. Rick Croy, head coach of Cal Baptist, joins us. Walnut Creek is the tough side of the tracks up there where you grew up, right? Um, what division was Northgate High School? Because we we graduated, I think, same year, right, 95? Well, no, you graduated 96, but 95, you guys won the state title. What division was that?
4: Yeah, no, gra- graduated Graduated 95. Okay. Um, we were Division Three at
2: the time. So who'd you beat in the state championship?
4: We beat Artesia in the what was then called the Oakland Coliseum, where the Warriors played. Uh, we beat a really good Artesia team. They had, you'll probably remember these guys, Kevin Daly went to UCLA, I think finished at Nevada. Kevin Daly? And then... Yep, Kevin Daly. Ended and he ni- I mean, was 95? He went to UCLA? 95. Ended up being ended up becoming one of the great globetrotters. No way. Because um, 95 a, was my was, year,
2: and they signed Brandon Lloyd. And they had, uh, the previous year was a couple of my AAU teammates, uh, J.R. Henderson, Christon Johnson, right? Those guys were freshmen on the national championship team. Toby Bailey, right? Those guys were 94. 95, I, I forgot, Kevin Daly. Okay, go ahead.
4: Kevin Daly. Then they had a big named Jonathan Nelson. Sure. Those were their. He went to Oregon. Those were their two best players. Um, this was before the shot clock. Uh, we had a great point guard named Frank Alaco Junior, uh, the son of our head coach. Right. Um, and we we did a great job using clock and um, had a had a really good group. It was a it was a special time. The community was completely behind the journey that our team was on. It was it was really like a unique time when I look back on it. We beat, in the NorCal final, we beat Eddie House, um, who we, we only had two losses that year. That team was 34-2, and and one of our losses came at St. Mary's College. We got beat by Eddie House's Hayward team, and it was an incredible game. He, he did one of our games last year at CBU with Fox Sports, and we talked a lot about that game, and we were reminiscing. And the thing I remember about that game was he hit like eighteen pull-up two-point shots. He really wasn't a three-point shooter then; he was more of like a pull-up guy, and like one of the all-time high school performances in the Bay Area. Uh, but at that time, and I think it's still the same now. If you if you got beat in the section final, you advanced.
2: Yeah, yeah, we got beat. We, uh, we so got we, beat by um, uh, Dominguez, so we advanced, and then okay. we lost in the state. Yeah.
4: Yeah, so we were able to to get to compete against Hayward again a few weeks later and, and that's what we beat him in, in the Oakland Coliseum and, and got a chance to play Artesian in the state final.
2: Now uh Frank Alaka the head coach, didn't he did he then leave and go to De La Salle, is that right? Or is that what happened?
4: He did. Yep. it it, it was it was an interesting move at the time because De La Salle was one of our rivals. Um you know, I know you had Sean Farnham on a few weeks ago. I listen; I'm a big fan of the podcast, and, um, and Sean was class of '96. But uh, at the time, we were we were the public school, beaten De La Salle, and had great games with them. So um, it was kind of an unusual move for Coach to to head over to De La Salle. But we we really the players, the the alums, supported the move. Coach Alaka was has been an incredible influence not only for me, but so many guys that are coaching collegiately now, Marcus Schroeder at St. Mary's, Greg St. Jeans with the Lakers. I mean, just an incredible mentor, life teacher. Um, so we really supported his move to, uh, to De La Salle and, and, and a bigger platform, and he went on to win two state championships at De La Salle.
2: Okay, so you finish up and you go to San Francisco State, right? Yep. Uh, yep. Um, okay, so San Francisco State, who's the head coach?
4: Charlie Thomas, who, who played at Virginia Tech, he was a, a tough guy, demanding leader. Um it had a great experience at San Francisco State. We had, you know, just a great group of guys, and SF State's a unique university, kind of a commuter school, but we we were able to form a, a tight-knit group, and I, I look back with, with a ton of fond memories and really, you know, I talked to guys that, that played at bigger schools, and, and they don't have the same relationships. I mean, we've got really got a tight group that we still text all the time and try and stay in each other's lives, and even, you know, 20-plus years later.
2: Where is San Francisco State?
4: It's on the back side of the city by—it's actually almost closer to Daly City uh, than it is to downtown, but— um, you're going to have, you're going to have the NorCal
2: guys, you're going to have to describe it to the rest of the world, right? Like, you're like, Oh, it's close to the daily city. Like, Oh, it's close to the daily city. Mm-hmm. N- n- you know, that's, um, fair, fair enough.
4: Doug. I'm, okay. I'm geographically challenged. So you, once you get over the bridge, you, you keep going towards Pacifica and you, it's the last stop that's considered San Francisco. So, Got it. um, so so if like where ever, so
2: where where did you live when you went to school there? Did you live on campus?
4: I lived on campus uh, for a year, and then most of us moved off campus. And it was a, it was one of those times where, you know, you you shared a room with maybe one other guy if you were lucky. I mean, most of us were. It was seven guys or six guys in a two bedroom because that's even at that time the city was expensive, and you, you had to scrap it out. Yeah. Um and again it was it, it was it was a special time. But for for the golfers <clears throat> out there it's um it's right by, by San Francisco State, it's right right by the Olympic Club.
2: Yeah. Where they had the uh was it the PGA or US Open a couple of years ago? Uh It's yeah, so amazing they've hosted some majors. Um yeah, so like how did those guys even live now? Like I don't know how would I mean San Francisco is the most expensive city in the country. Obviously, the tech industry in the mid-90s and the tech industry now, like the the city has uh is is like ridiculous. Um but I, I don't even know how they function. So what was it was is it D2, right?
4: Division 2. We we start when I got there in 95-96, we competed in what was the Northern California Athletic Conference. And the power at the time was UC Davis, who was coached by Bob Williams. Sure,
2: they won the national championship.
4: And they, they won – I mean, this is how good they were. They they won the Nat, Division Two National Championship without any scholarships, which is – I mean, to think about that now, having coached at the, the Division Two level, incredible, I mean, uh, uh, unbelievable. So that they were the power, and then eventually um, San Francisco State moved – my senior year to the CC2A, you know, and that was at a time where a lot of schools that were CC2A schools were transitioning to Division One. Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, Northridge. Those were teams that were in the CC2A, and those transitions kind of created an opportunity to make it one big conference where they kind of combined all the schools from Northern California and Southern California into one Division Two conference, and it, that's still a great conference to this day.
5: Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.
2: So you get done in 1999. Mm -hmm. What were your thoughts on your your future?
4: Well, I knew I I wanted to coach. I had had such a great experience um, learning under Coach Alaco and saw the impact that he was able to have and, I still remember, I I really didn't understand how college basketball worked until I was in it. I remember, you know, seeing the lifestyle that my college coach had and the assistant coaches. I remember thinking, gosh, this this would be something I'd really like to do. But I didn't know how the whole thing worked and started having conversations with Coach Alaco and, started working camps the the summer before my senior year I went and worked every camp that I could I worked UNLV's camp for Bill Bano. Dave Rice was actually running the camp and was really good to me I worked superstar basketball camp I worked camp for a guy named Michael Lagarza who's one of the great leaders and great junior college coaches of all time so I was just trying to get as many reps as I could and I thought maybe that would help me down the road and started doing the letter writing thing and had studied Steve Lavin and things like that. But I wasn't having a ton of luck. I think I got one interview at the division one level. Everyone was telling me, you know, you got to get to division one. I had one interview in Macon, Georgia, uh, at a school called Mercer. Mm -hmm. Uh, the head coach's name was Mark Swaniker. I went out there and I thought, I thought they were going to hire me. And you know, you, you think about, how God blesses the broken road. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I would have survived out there when I look back on it, but thankfully they didn't hire me. And I, I told my high school coach, I said, I I just want to, you know, I want to be around excellence. I want to be around the best leader I can. I asked him, can I come back and work for you? So I had graduated a semester early. So when basketball finished, when my senior year finished, I went back and started coaching at De La Salle with him. Uh, He had a great staff and, and he was great for me. He said, you know, he really believed in me as a leader, uh, and said, "Rick, I'm all good with you coming back, but you got to promise me that you're going to keep your dream of coaching college basketball. That even if you don't get an opportunity right away, a year from now, we got to we got to move you on." And you know, at the time, it didn't seem like like that much of a powerful statement. But when I think about it, he he just had vision, and and again that that great belief in me that that I could that I could make the college basketball journey happen. And then, it, and then in, in, in August, um, UC Riverside and John Macy uh, called me and, and said, hey, our grad assistant just left. He was an Orange County guy named Jeff Hopkins, who I saw a few weekends ago. Great guy. I played at Santa Margarita. Wait, and he was Hopkins was coaching? Up. Hopkins was the grad assistant at UCR. And his departure opened the opportunity for me to head down in August. And I really didn't want to leave De La Salle, but again, coach Alaka came back and said, Rick, you got to go do this. You know, you got to get in it at an early age. And, and that was just a blessed opportunity for me. I mean, working for, for John Macy who, you know, one of the great coaches over 450 wins and just the kind of man that he is to jump into a program like that right away. And He gave me a lot of responsibility and, it, I couldn't have asked for a better start.
2: Uh okay, so you get you get to UC Riverside. They're D2 at the time, right? It's like the it's the other kind of UC school. Right? Everybody thinks of UCLA. Some people think of UC Santa Barbara, UC Irvine. <clears throat> um the, there's the UCSDs. Uh, obviously UC Davis, which had won a national championship. What what was it like to go from I mean in really kind of short order, you're playing at the Division 2 level? Now you're super young and you're coaching at the Division two level. What was that like?
4: It, it was great, and it was an exciting time and you know obviously i, I couldn't imagine what I'd be doing now in in twenty eighteen twenty nineteen in a in a transitioning Division one program but u c r at the time was transitioning from Division two to Division one, so my first year at UC Riverside, in 99-2000, we were D2, and then the next year, we were Division one, And at that time, you were considered an independent. So you really weren't even in a conference. Like, we, we didn't join the Big West Conference. We were just playing against anyone that we could get a game with. So it, it was kind of a crazy schedule. The schedule had gaps in it. The NCAA, um, at, it wasn't the transition wasn't as organized as it is now now like for us at cbu before we became a division 1 member we had to be accepted into a conference so we you know we got the invitation from the western athletic conference and you know all of that was uh, kind of a seamless process and 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 very very organized so at ucr there was a tremendous amount of enthusiasm um, coach Macy had built a, a dominant Division II powerhouse. They had played in the national championship game against Southern Indiana. Bruce Pearl was the head coach. Um, they had a great fan base support from the community, and it was an exciting time. And 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 I was, you know, I I was just enjoying it, learning from all of the coaches. We had a great coaching staff, and I I just kind of jumped in and and was trying to get better every day. I, I what, really. Did what did
2: how, how did you guys play?
4: We played motion offense. Coach had, uh, had shaped the motion offense. And he was one of the first coaches to really nationally to utilize the three-point shot. They had, beat, they had played in the tournament in Hawaii, I believe in 1989, uh, one of the first years where, where the three-point shot was um, in play. And they made, I, I don't remember the specific number, but it was well over 23s to beat a great Iowa team. Like Iowa was top five. BJ Armstrong, Roy Marble, an incredible team. I watched I've watched the film a few times and but he was on the he was on the forefront of utilizing the three point shot and and relying on it and, and recruiting to it. So they played four out, one in motion and they took a ton of threes. And then very very solid man to man defense principles. Coach was Coach Mason, an old school coach, and uh, ran a great practice. Loved being in the gym. Uh, loved mentoring young guys, and 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 really knew how to build a program.
2: You go from there to Citrus College, and so for people who aren't familiar with uh, Southern California, so UC Riverside, and Cal Baptist, where you are now, they're both in Riverside. Riverside's in the IE Inland Empire. That's they produced Reggie Miller. Uh, obviously, most recently Kawhi Leonard. Um, it is a wellspring of talents. Very blue collar. It's also very hot, smoggy, kind of dusty. Citrus yeah. College is a little bit closer to uh, L.A. It's in it's in Glendora, which is. I I I don't think it's not really in the Lynn empire there, right? That's like San Gabriel Valley there, I think. Yep. and that's of yep. course where Adam Jacobson, who you just hired as your assistant at, at CBU, Tracy Murray, of course, famously played there. So did uh, all of the, the the Jacobson brothers. Casey Jacobson was an All American and went on to Stanford in the NBA. Um, what what was the decision like to go from being a a Division two to become Division one assistant coach to becoming a junior college coach in its College in Glendora?
4: Well, to, to backtrack a little bit, you know, just in, in terms of accuracy on the journey, it was, it was kind of crazy because I, I actually Well, you left. went to
2: Concordia first, right? You went to you, you coached yeah, under so Ken first.
4: Yeah, I, I left UCR. I was, I was the grad, graduate assistant, and, you know, I really wanted to, to get out and recruit. And Ken was – Ken Ammon was at Azusa Pacific, and he got the Concordia job. It was his first head coaching job, and it was one of the best moves I made because – There's so many things that I do today as a leader that I learned from Ken. You know, you pick up so many things along the way. But it was a special year. We 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 titled that year the end of the innocence. It was like the last year in coaching where the players didn't have cell phones. We were in like our own little bubble, and we were just you know trying to trying to figure things out. And at the end of that year, it was probably one of my first tough decisions in coaching because Coach Macy lost his top assistant. Uh, Reggie Howard, because Larry Reynolds got the head coaching job at Long Beach State and said, Hey, Rick, I'd like you to come back. You know, you've got great familiarity with the players. You recruited some of these guys and, you know, you know, the program, would you, would you come back? And, you know, I I started to learn a little bit more how the coaching game worked. And I thought, gosh, I, I, I better take this opportunity. So I went back to UC Riverside was there for three more years. And at that time we were in the big West and we had some good players um, you know we we suffered some. We went through some adversity. We lost the, the Nate Carter was Big West Freshman of the Year. He transferred to Oklahoma. That that was a setback. We had a really good player. Billy Morton was Big West Defensive Player of the Year. Um, and we, you know, that when you're coaching mid major basketball, one of the, one of the most difficult things is is to weather adversity because it's very very difficult. I think especially in the journey. Um, to, to get depth. And we didn't quite have enough depth to, to create the kind of success that, uh, the athletic director thought we should have at the time. And, and, and made, the school made a, a very, very tough decision. And, um, so they let our staff go. And it was one of those crucible moments in coaching where I had a chance to potentially stay on with, with the guy, the coach that they brought in who was, uh, a guy named David Spencer, or it was time to find another opportunity. And my wife and I, Jamie, had our first baby on the way. And there was a junior college opening at Citrus College, but it paid like $15,000. It was part-time. But I thought the opportunity to be a head coach at, at that age, I think I was 27, I thought that was a pretty good opportunity. My wife was teaching. We could we could make it work financially um, how, how did you, she, she how, how, me,
2: wait, how did you make it work financially?
4: Well, she was, she was teaching and, uh, she was the breadwinner and she was getting it done. And, um, you know, I took the coaching stipend and the AD got me a couple classes to teach and we scrapped it out. I mean, it was tough. Uh, but when I look back on it, that was, I mean, probably one of the best experiences I've ever had coaching and, and, I hired a bunch of guys that had just gotten done playing and it was like it had to work. And we were, we were learning by doing, and you know, I had a pretty good idea of how we wanted to guard and how we wanted to play defensively. But, you know, offensively we were, we, we were kind of a mess. Uh, You know, we, I thought, gosh, we just, we need to run sets because you don't have these guys for very long. And I kind of got away from the principles. Of how I grew up playing, going all the way back to Coach Alaco with, you know, player movement and ball movement, and just believing in the fundamentals. And my second year, um, this was kind of a, a really neat part in the journey. Um, I I knew I needed to get better, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So I, I was I was thinking, gosh, who can I bring in that I can really learn from? And Jim Sia was the interim head coach at SC. Uh, when a crazy set of circumstances, it was like Henry Bibby, then Rick Majerus and Sia took over. Um, it was like Gabe Pruitt, Nick Young, those guys, those, he was playing those guys as freshmen and, and, and Jim was, Jim was out of the game. He was, you know, just looking, looking for an opportunity. And I called him up. I didn't know him that well. And I said, Hey, would you, you, would you come on board and mentor me? at Citrus, you know, you only got to come a couple of days a week and I just want to watch you, you know, put in some offensive principles and teach me. And that, and that was big because it, it really helped me get back to believing in some of the things that, that I originally believed in. And, um, you know, we started playing with great pace and then, uh, you know, kept getting better defensively and we were able to, we were able to build a really strong program at Citrus and, you know, you, you gained so much confidence. Um you know, from having to run practice every day and just and getting to build a program,
2: yeah, and then you end up winning a state championship in your third year uh you got to the regional finals, you got to the final four uh in two thousand ten your last year. By the way, for people who don't know, I've actually known your wife way longer than I've known you. I grew up in the city of Orange. your wife then Jamie shine, she was a stud athlete right she was a she played volleyball at uh, at St Mary's. Um,
4: yeah, she actually went. She went to St. Mary's to play basketball, and then when she finished playing hoops, she she played a fifth year of volleyball. So, there's, yeah, she she reminds me often, uh, you know, where where the athleticism in the family <laughs> is for sure. But yeah, we've talked all the time about you know the the, the Gottliebs. The Gottliebs should have been uh, leading the El Medina boys to, to championships, but. Um, you know, you, you had to go over to Tustin and, and do it, and do your thing over there.
2: Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of interesting. You know, uh, my my brother was coached by a guy Tim, Tim Tivenin, and yeah. and Tim actually did a really his senior year. They were awesome. They're like I don't know, like I'm gonna say like twenty eight and two or three or something. They got upset early in the tournament um, by Cajon. Weird thing, you're a top seed, but and you get a bye and then you play your first game on the road, and they got beat. Um, but it just el Medina it's interesting that she made it out of El Medina. my sister you know kind of made it out of my brother, you know uh there's some Robbie Gordon made it out of El Medina. There was a lot of people there was yep. like a guy here that uh what's his name Gibson because it was the starting center for Tomnovich at u s c so there was guys yep. but there just wasn't like it wasn't really a sports school, and so when I stayed back, we tried to pick the best public sports school that's why we picked Tustin, and it's interesting uh that you know like. I I really I it, it 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 speaks to me for guys who transfer and even as a guy myself who transfers and in college basketball in that it's really different your relationship with your teammates if you grew up with those guys you know like I right, it right. is something that I it took me several years at Tustin to feel connected to the guys I was playing. By my senior year, I was, because we'd all kind of played together, lost together, won together, whatever. But there were really three years where I wasn't really connected with those because I didn't live in Tustin. Um, right. And it, it does speak to me for, for transfers.
0: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming!
5: Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.
2: Okay, so you're at Citrus College. You won 35, 28, and 29 games. Um, and you decide to go to Saint, back to, to St. Mary's where she's a, an alum of to work under Randy Bennett. Why? You
4: know, uh, kind of a... A myriad of reasons. I number one, I had to really think about. I had applied for a few jobs at the four-year level, you know, and that's where that's where coaching's tough. Is it's a little bit the the platforms are are slightly fractured. Like even if you're, and I think this holds true even more so today, even than it did in 2010. If if you wanted to move up, sometimes that success wasn't truly recognized. Um, You know, there was, I think you really had to have NCAA success and experience under your belt. So I was applying for a few jobs and, um, you know, had to kind of assess, okay, was I a a realistic candidate? And so that that was part of the decision was, okay, do I want to coach at the community college level? Uh, I can keep having an impact. I've had mentors uh, that had done that and, and really enjoyed it. Steve Coach Emilio up at Diablo Valley College. I had some conversations with him and uh, you know he said you, you know you, you kind of got to make that decision early in your career and I I desired to coach at the Division 1 level so it was it was one of those crucible moments where I had to make a tough decision and thankfully um, was able to do it at an incredible in an incredible program like Saint Mary's College Randy had built you know an, an amazing program and was able to to step in there and learn underneath him and then the other reason I left was you know the thing I love most about coaching is being on a staff and when you coach at the junior college level there's really only one guy getting paid and that's the head coach and not that you're getting paid extraordinarily well um but the assistance, you just, there's no benefits. There's basically, you know, stipend pay. And I really felt like, gosh, we got a great coaching staff. I'd love to be in a situation where one day we could, you know, have five, six guys on, on good salaries and they could raise their families through this, this passion. So those were some of the reasons. And then the other reason just being the, the, the amazing opportunity that was that was presented um, to me from, from Randy. All right, so you
2: get there and your first year, you had uh Mickey McConnell, who was a stud, right? Supposed to go to yeah. New Mexico yeah. and when when that coaching job changed he ends up going to uh he ends up going to St. Mary's. You have Delhi. Delhi's only a sophomore at the time. Um, and uh, you also had Mitchell Young, Rob Jones as well, who what, transferred in from San Diego. Um, yep. So so what was, like all of a sudden you go from coaching all these other places and you appreciated Randy and what was it about those St. Mary's teams? Now, I know you guys didn't win any NCAA tournament games when you were there, but those were great teams in a great conference against Gonzaga that, I mean, every year you guys were in the finals against Gonzaga. Um What was it like to step into St. Mary's after being at the junior college level and the Division II level?
4: There was great momentum. I mean, they were coming off a a Sweet 16 appearance. The enthusiasm surrounding the program. I think everyone knew Mickey was about to do something special in his senior year. I don't know if anyone could have predicted
2: Delhi. The no kind
4: way. of year that he was about to have. I mean, Mickey, Mickey, his senior year, he was MVP of the West Coast Conference. He was sensational from start to finish. And then, you know, you, you just, Delhi, you knew there was something special happening uh, with his leadership and his, his ability to make everyone around him better. You know, what's um, interesting about
2: Delhi? So I spoke at Randy's kickoff banquet the year before. Right. So this is in 2009. And, um, I think that was right after Patty Mills left. Right. And, mm-hmm. yep. and I remember he, was, I was like, all right, who's the next one. Right. Cause when I had gotten there, it was like, when I first started calling games, it was kickert. And then, you know, um, there, then it became all Aussies right. And Patty Mills and, and then, you know, it was, and then Mickey and I was like, who's the next one. And he's like that guy right there. And, yeah. I, and if you've ever seen Delhi now, Deli now in, in person is obviously an incredible shape. Yeah. But but then he, he was kind of built like a block. I just remember super thick, super hairy legs, right? Like super, super hairy, hairy wolfman legs. And I was just like, no fucking way, Randy. No way. <laughs> and he's like, I'm just telling you, just watch him play. Like he just, he goes, he's tough as shit. He makes shots. He runs a team. He goes, he just he doesn't have to go by anybody. He just reads a pick and roll. He's going to be so good. And even the first year I saw, I was like, "Eh, maybe And he just got better and better and, and better. Did you, when you showed up there, did you go like, Oh, that guy's going to be a pro.
4: Probably not. I mean, like you mentioned, I mean, it's funny to to look back at some of the pictures. It's what you see now is, is a much cleaner version. Um, He was, he was scrappy, but he had this will um, that you felt, and he challenged you as a coach. We had a new staff. I mean, it's, we have so many great memories from from those coaching staffs. It was, but we were a new staff. It was uh, our staff was myself, Ron Gannat who's the head coach at Hawaii, uh, Adam Caporn, who's an assistant for the Boomers, uh, the Australian Olympic team now. Uh, Tyler Ogen is the associate head coach at Northern Arizona. And, you know, the program had had so much success, and and we didn't want to screw anything up. So we were really learning from Mickey uh, and Deli and Rob Jones. There were all these great leaders that were in place, and we were just excited to compete with those guys. But there was such a chemistry, uh, and it was just uh, some of the things that were going on around the country you were you were in this bubble in Moraga where there was great appreciation. Guys were in the moment; um, they they were just enjoying college basketball. So, the professional thing that really wasn't the focus. It was right. like you you knew Delhi wanted to play in the NBA, but he was just trying to make St. Mary's better every day. And it, some of that stuff sounds cliche, but when I think back about my to my experiences with him, that that's truly what it was. The guy was if somebody, you know, criticized him in some area or said, Hey, you know, I know one of the things early was, man, I don't know if he could slide his feet. He got on this slide board and we would, we would finish lifting and you know, everyone else would head to the cafeteria and he would put in like 15 to 20 minutes of like this hyper-focused work on this slide board. And sure enough, a couple months later, no one could go by him. And he would do that in all these different areas, free throws, three-point shooting, um, you know, passing out of the pick and roll. He would just, he would hunt down all these details of the game. And the longer you, you spent around him, it was like, there's no way he's not going to make it. I and mean, he just won't be denied. And I, I remember watching that draft with my son um, and daughter. And I fully believed that, that somebody was going to recognize the excellence in the draft, you know, even if it was in the second round. And I remember my, my son crying as the final pick, uh, was announced and, and Delhi went undrafted. But even in that moment, you're like, Nope, he's going to get on a summer league team and he'll do whatever it takes. He'll get in somebody's training camp. He'll do whatever it takes. And, um, you know, just, just an amazing story.
2: Yeah, no, truly, truly an amazing story. what is it about and 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 some of it is the aussies right they're just wired differently i don't know how they do it at the australian institute of sport but they do get guys to be in the moment play for the team play for each other right like is it's real, the the aussie thing is a real thing where they they and, I, and and it's interesting that ben simmons hasn't necessarily been connected with it cuz he even though he does like to share the basketball he's not really like those guys how yep. much of it is their makeup? How much of it is Randy's coaching that's allowed St. Mary's to continue? Because I, I don't know if people understand, like, how big an upset it, it is that um, that they're continually successful. Like, they've redone the McKinnon Pavilion and made it nice, but it's still a tiny school, you know, in a, a beautiful part of the country, but not one that they're, like, they're not able to go and out-recruit Cal or Stanford, right, Northern California. Yeah, Right, like, how, how much of it is the Aussies? How much of it is Randy that allows them to be successful?
4: Yeah, well, to your point, um, I, you know, Jim Shaw, he's associate head coach at Washington State, and he's he's been a great mentor to me. But he's he's been all over the country. He's competed in you know probably fifteen NCAA tournaments, Oklahoma, Washington. He's been at all these power five schools. He calls it the miracle in Moraga because you see St. Mary's College basketball on TV. But it's a different deal when you're, when you're there. You know, it's, it's a small school, uh, but there's just, you know, there's something, Randy's built something that's I- incredibly special. I think it's a combination of both. It's, it's, a, great, it's a great platform, um, you know, for, for the Aussies, for, for their culture. Those guys would say, you know, they kind of draw the correlation um, or use the metaphor of growing up watching footy, you know, their Aussie rules football compared to our football you know i think in the nfl you know a guy scores a touchdown uh there's a lot of self glorification you know the celebrations it's all about you know who put it over the goal line they would say that in their sport in footy a, a lot of times it's the hand pass it's the assist it's the hockey assist that led to yeah you know the 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 guy kicking it through um and scoring the points and the celebrations, you know, and being over there this summer and getting to watch one of those games in person—it's real. Like there's, there's not as much attention drawn to self. It is more about team. There are so many people out on the pitch at one time. Uh, the head coaches in the booth—it's it, the team culture. I think is emphasized more at a younger age, the grassroots level, the attention to fundamentals. Um, is more acute, and it translates. And these these guys get to college, and, yeah. and they know what it means to be a teammate. And I think, um, you know, how to work at it, and not panic, not panic if your freshman year isn't going exactly the way that maybe you had built it in your mind's eye. Yeah. Well,
2: uh, it's funny. So I, I my last one of my last big college basketball shows at ESPN. So this is in 2012. I was, it was, it was one of the days where uh, a team, it was where, I think they beat Gonzaga in the WCC finals. And um, I was on with a guy named Adrian Branch. Now Adrian Branch is a great player and really, really funny. And I have a, I had a great relationship with him, but I was trying to make the point about the miracle of Moraga. And like, he actually cut me off and I was like, I don't think people understand what Randy Bennett took over. The gym was terrible. The school's tiny. They won two games the year before he got there. And I started to go into the stats. He's like, why are you talking? Basically, he was basically like, why are you talking shit about same Mary's? And I was like, and I actually said, can you please stop talking? I'm not done. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I was, and, and forever, like I, I, we actually had like meetings about it. And I probably, you know, I, I just should have just kept going and I ended up still going, but I shouldn't have said it that way. It was I was trying to relay just how amazing it was. What about Randy? What if, if you were to give one or two takeaways? Because I've said I've you know like one of the great things about my job is like I get to watch these practices, and I'm gonna just tell you like I remember they were in uh, I don't know if you were there, um, you might have been there, yeah, it was, out in Hawaii, and I was doing a game, and we, we did the the Diamond Head Classic. And did, okay. you, were you, did you coach when you guys were in the Diamond Head Classic? I'm trying to think what year this was. No,
4: no, that was, I think, the year after I I came down to CBU.
2: Okay. So I remember watching, and I had done his clinics before, and I'd spoken to the camps before, whatever, and I'd done his games before. But the way it worked there was you land, and you actually had maybe a two days of practice before you played, depending on where you flew in from. And I remember okay. watching his practice and be like, I mean, I, I've seen – 200 teams practice. Okay. Maybe not 200 schools, but 200 different coaches coach practice probably in 15 years of broadcasting. I, I maybe, and I actually have probably seen more. And of the most impressive practices, Brad Stevens in Hawaii yeah. as was the first time I saw it. Randy Bennett, uh, Tony Bennett, um, Tony Bennett, uh, and, and Randy would be three of the, and what stuck out to me was that the start of every practice was passing, catching, fundamentals. Yeah. As well as oh, everything yeah. else, right? But I, and and I, we do operate in the assumption everybody does it, but everybody doesn't do it. What 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 about him as a coach? If you were to relate to other coaches to listen to this pod, like this is the secret sauce. Other than getting those players from Australia who have those fundamentals, but also are willing to sacrifice themselves.
4: Yeah, I, I would say a couple things. Um, one, you've already alluded to incredibly consistent I mean the consistency in his program in his in his leadership and what he brings to the table every day special special and then um, he studied he studied every detail of the profession from scheduling to shooting to building a culture to team building to down to the last detail graphics on the hallway. He he wants to get better in every area every year. And he's incredibly passionate about it. And the last thing I would say is Greg Popovich has this line that says, you know, he, coaching is like I can't remember what percent he used, but call it 85% force of personality. And, you know, Randy has never tried to be anyone else. He's um, maybe not the most charismatic or demonstrative, but there's a force to his leadership and guys believe in it. And there's an incredible consistency consistency behind it. He's all about the team he's all about the staff um cares about his guys you know if you look at uh the success of the assistant coaches that he's had move on i mean it's it's becoming uh you know just a great tree i think that's something he's proud of and then you know i think within his personality you can see why he stayed where so many other guys when they have that success at that at, at the mid-major level or in a conference like WCC they've left and you know he's not he's not trying to to be anyone else he, he he knows who he is um and he believes in the way they do it and and I think the players the players feel that St. Mary's feels that and 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 he's constantly trying trying to improve so it's it's really um, you know, the, I think the the mastery in it is, is in the simplicity. Just he doesn't get knocked off balance by anything. And he's, you know, nothing, nothing slips by him. He's, he's going to be on top of everything. He loves to, loves to watch film, loves to scout, um, you know, loves to teach guys how to scout. So it was, it was an incredible place to, to study at and, you know, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate that that I had the opportunity to to lead with him for, for the three years that I did.
2: Okay, so how did the CBU job come to be? How did it happen?
4: We were playing in the NCA tournament. It was it was um, Mitch Young, Deli, the, those guys' senior year, and we we beat Middle Tennessee in the playing game. Um, then we played Memphis in Detroit, and we got beat. Um, real low-scoring game. Both teams struggled to score points. And we were flying back, and I, had a, I, had, I got a message um, from the VP here at CBU, Kent Dacus, who's, who's become um, you know a great mentor of mine. And that's when I found out there was an opportunity here. It was interesting because when I was coaching at UC Riverside, I had known about CBU and I'd been on the campus before coaching at Concordia. And, and there was, I thought there was great energy on this campus um, and they were looking to improve their basketball program. So I flew down. And when I flew down, I was blown away because the campus and everything going on at CBU had changed so much. Uh, and there were, there was there had been so many improvements that had been made. That's when I met the president here, our president, Dr. Ron Ellis. And, uh, was able to spend some time with him and and you know really see get a chance to um, you know hear hear some of the, the the things that he had in store for CBU in the years to come and I just thought man what what an incredible opportunity to to build a basketball program um, you know we were transit this school was transitioning from NAI to Division two. There were no promises being made about Division One. There were no promises made about the CBU Event Center that we're playing in now. But there were some things foreshadowed, forecasted. But you had to you had to jump in on on the belief train that they were on, and and I did. I mean, I, I really felt the leadership. So that's kind of how it came about. It happened very quickly, um, and before I knew
0: it, it was time to get down here and, and start going to work. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. <laughs>
5: Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.
2: So you show up and you have kind of like a blank slate. So how do you decide, how do you, how do you create a program? Like it's one thing to sell an adult who he's been a part of programs, D2, going to Division One, been a part of St. Mary's. What, what's the process like of selecting a staff, of finding the players and, and of building it really from scratch?
4: Yeah, that that was kind of some of the most enjoyable parts about the journey were um, some of the decisions that I had made prior to in my career. You know, it was like everything was manifesting itself. So I I just hired the same guys that that I was coaching with at Citrus. And um, I I just felt like – we could lead together and we could build something. I had so much confidence in those guys. They had when I left Citrus they had gone other places to continue to prepare themselves for an opportunity like we were about to undertake and so it didn't take long and we put our staff together very quickly and and you know and I think that's where getting the head coaching job at a young age at Citrus paid off because ultimately you you had the belief that you could run a practice that you could get guys to believe in a vision. um, And you didn't spend, you didn't spend a lot of time worrying about some of the things that weren't in place. I mean, one of the first things uh, that I was asked when I, when I was on campus at CBU at the time that we had the Van Dyne gym, which was a great old school venue, but they asked point "Hey, do you think you can win big with our current facility? Well, my experience is, Coaching college basketball, we're all from at institutions where we didn't have the greatest resources or facilities. So I was like, "Yeah, it has nothing to do with that. It's all about the people." Um, but I wasn't having to like talk myself into that or convince myself of right. that. My my experiences were just they were that. So we just jumped in and 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 we were very blessed. There were there were seniors here that were dying to be a part of something special, and they were all in. I mean, there was they, – they jumped all in from day one, and then and then we were able to – there were a few guys that we were recruiting at St. Mary's that, you know, the St. Mary's situation was so solid, and, you know, at that point, you you, you were only going on the best of the best. I mean, we, we were signing, like, the Oregon three-time player of the year, so there were guys on our list that, that, that were never going to – um, probably get offers at cbu and we we were able to uh, get a few of those guys on visit on visits at cbu and speak to the enthusiasm that was that was in place and and kind of say hey here's our vision for what we're doing and we had a few guys jump in and um, we got we got it rolling right away in large part because of the buy-in of those seniors
2: uh, okay so you fast forward to this year right yep and this year, November thirteenth, it's your first game as a full fledged member of Division One, right? And you're playing at Oral Roberts. What 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 do you remember about the experience of is it any different knowing that you're a full fledged member of Division One? I? Like I I, I want to get to how the game ended, but just the walking out there, having been through the process, having a new arena, having built the program from essentially from scratch. What was that, did that game feel any different being a D1 member?
4: It, it did. It, it was surreal because, I mean, you know, you, you competed for so long, Doug. There's very few times as a competitor um, are you going to not deal with expectations. But, you know, for the few years leading it up to our opportunity to compete at the Division one level, we, we were scrimmaging uh, Division one teams and we were playing in ex- ex- exhibition games. But that's a different deal. Because it's all a bonus-type situation. You know, if you beat one of those teams, everyone says, great job, man, you guys are, you guys are building something special. But if you get beat, you kind of get a pass. And so this was our first time competing where the scoreboard, you know, somebody was going to get a win and somebody was going to take an L. It was going to be on the bottom ticker. We were representing CBU, which has a great product. Um, and, and we've been blessed to be, you know, kind of the front porch of the university in terms of representing, uh, the school nationally, um, athletically. So it, there was a lot on it. You did de- it definitely felt different.
2: And of course you win on a half court shot, right? Like that's, and, and in a place at Oral Roberts where, you know, it says on the floor, expect a miracle, you guys win your first division one game, you win on a half court shot. What was that experience like?
4: Oh, it was it was amazing because we we played well. I think we only turned the ball over four times in the game. We we made some shots. We had different guys step up. But as you know, competing on the road in college basketball, you got to play a, you got to play a full forty minutes. And we had a probably the last you know three and a half minutes of the game we struggled to score. We gave up a few threes, you know, and it looked, it, it was coming down the wire. It looked like, guys is one of those games where you play tough on the road, but you just don't, maybe you just don't quite have enough to get it done. Um, and so we needed one stop. I thought we played pretty good defense. They hit a, a contested three to go up two. We s- snap an outlet. Our guys inbound it. Our, our mantra for the year that we had put in place was fearless because that's how we wanted to enter the spirit of the season was just fearless. You know, let's, let's go in let's go into every game, you know, believe in we can get it done. If we don't get it done, let's put everything into it. If we don't get it done, let's reset mentality. Let's go after the next one. So we snapped the outlet pass and our point guard, Milan Aqua, I think took one, two dribbles and he shot it. Like he was supposed to make it. I mean, it was, he had a fearless mindset and, the ball goes in, and you're, you know, it's just one of those moments where you're like, oh my gosh, I mean, this is, you couldn't have scripted it any better.
2: You guys, after that, you won a, You had a losing streak. You lost four in a row. Tulsa, obviously, you stayed in Tulsa and lost that a close game. You get smacked at Nevada. They were an elite team with, you know, older team. Uh, yep. You lose at home to Pine Bluff in three OTs. You lose to uh, Howard. But then you start kind of reeling some off, including a win over cross town, you know, cross town, not really a rival, UC Riverside. Um, you, you that that was kind of your season, right? Go on a winning streak, go on a losing streak, go on a winning streak, going on a losing streak at the mid and frankly low major level. How do you handle that? Like you're a competitive dude. You've won a lot of games at St. Mary's, at Citrus, you know, at other stops as well. How do you handle the fact that, like. Look, you're going to lose a bunch of games. That's just going to, going to happen. How do you not let it kind of bring you down and, and get into a negative vortex?
4: Yeah, and and I think additionally we were, you know, we we were coming out of a, a really good run at the Division Two level where our locker room expected to win, and I I was, you know, I I was thinking going into the season and and really praying about it. Okay, is that is that something? that can, that can really be good for us, that winning culture, or is that going to make what you're talking about even tougher when, when you do get beat, uh, you know, or you trip, you fall down, you, you know, you go through a tough stretch. Are we going to, are we going to be able to keep our resiliency? And I think at the end of the day um, it did pay off for us because we, we were winning those games um, at the division two level because we had put a huge emphasis on recruiting character. And I think, you know, Dick Bennett talked about this a lot when they, when they got the Washington state job. And I, I've heard it mentioned a little bit over the last two years, uh, people have come back to this said, you know, you gotta, sometimes you gotta get guys that you can lose with first. And I think really what he's talking about is you gotta get character. And, and we had good, really good character, in our program and we had a great leader, senior leader in Jordan heading and his, it was, we were kind of playing off his resiliency. You know, he triple overtime loss to pine bluff. All right, let's go, let's go get something done. Let's, let's see if we can go win at UC Riverside, you know, or, or we went through a tough stretching conference. Okay. You know, there's, there's great things available for us. You know, let's go try and make the CBI or the CIT. Let's, let's try and do it better than anyone's ever done before. We knew that we knew the record for, for wins at the Division 1 level in the first year was 15. So we weren't afraid to talk about some of those tangible things. But I think it's easier to talk about the tangible things when you when you do trust the character in the locker room. Right. So that that paid off huge for us. You know, I think if we had put a bigger emphasis on just recruiting talent as we were making the transition I think we could have fallen victim to exactly the things you're talking about which are you're going to take some bumps. Right. And if you're just trying to get the best player you can possibly get
2: Th- those, know, those guys have never lost and never been told no. All right, I got I I have a, I got like three more for you and then and then then we got you both we both have to go. Uh yep. great, greatest player of all time is who?
4: Michael Jordan. Why? The ability to to own the moment. I saw some statistic that somebody was talking about the other day that Jordan had like a some ridiculous stretch. This will require accountability, but some ridiculous stretch where he never lost more than two NBA regular season games in like a seven year stretch. I I just think his the individual ability combined with the fortitude to get his team to compete at his level, second to none.
2: Uh, greatest coach you've ever, the best coach you've ever
4: coached against. Man, that's a great question. Um, probably, gosh, Mark Few at Gonzaga. I mean, the battles that we had with them when I was at. Okay, so, so
2: so look, they got really good players, but why? What about Fuey as a coach? Did you guys, because there is a rivalry there. Same Mary's guys and Gonzaga guys don't usually say nice things about each other. Uh, what is it about him as a coach that you think makes him special?
4: I think their teams find a way to keep getting better every year, like throughout the season. And I, I don't think people really realize how difficult that is to repeat year after year because it's such a long season Mm -hmm. and we've made it longer. I mean, I think the NCAA has done a lot of great things with instituting the summer hours um, and, you know, more work, more hours in the fall. We get four on the floor now. And and I think those trends are great. I think that we should continue to build towards more time with our student athletes. But um, I think the the flip side of that is the season is longer. So to consistently each and every year, create a culture where your team is playing with tremendous energy and buy-in and camaraderie and obviously execution. Um, Yeah. yeah, Pretty special stuff. Special, special stuff. When you compete against them, you, you definitely feel it.
2: Rick, this has been great stuff, man. I can't wait to see your team play. I know you had your first practice yesterday. Uh, Milan is back as a point guard. He had some huge nights, the 30 against New Mexico state that, that, that probably your biggest win of your year. I really appreciate you joining us in the all ball podcast.
4: Thanks for the time. Huge fan of the podcast and uh, grateful to
1: be on it. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb show weekdays at noon Eastern 3 PM Pacific.
2: Wow. That was great stuff from uh, Rick Croy. Uh, Remember he's head coach at Cal Baptist CBU out in uh, Riverside. So, Uh, As you're watching CBU, I think the Lancers, you're like, oh, that guy. Rising star in the coaching profession. My thanks to him. And, of course, if you want to listen to the Doug Gottlieb Show daily, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific, on Fox Sports Radio, iHeartRadio app, uh, Sirius XM 217 and 203. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Gottlieb Show. Maybe next week we'll take some questions, and I'll give you some answers on the pod. In the meantime, enjoy the Hoops Conversation. And uh, we'll continue to have great guests. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and this is All Ball.
3: Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25 until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul. Some 41, 30 seconds from Mars. Oh, and two-door Cinema Club.
1: Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere,